This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. A video of the talk is also available along with more downloads at our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, thank you very much. Um, a very good afternoon to you. Um, that subject which we have um, for consideration this afternoon, then, um, it's perhaps a puzzling subject. I don't know if it's a, a, a phrase that, uh, of Jesus that you've ever thought about before, um, but, but what does it mean? Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Um, well, what does he mean? What, what is the world? Um, I don't think there's any sense in which we could read that to mean the, the physical globe, is there? Um, there's, no, there's no way in which that makes sense. Uh, so, so we need to explore, well, what does that mean, the world? Uh, and why did it need overcoming? To what end? Um, and why should this accomplishment of the Lord Jesus bring us good cheer? Um, it's quite enigmatic if we've never considered this saying before Um, uh, and so that's our purpose this evening is just to to go through it methodically like that and let's just see if we can understand the words of Jesus in this regard a little better Um, those uh, of you who are more astute will have noticed that the phrase doesn't actually come up in the in the reading which we took by way of introduction Um, we read first epistle of John in chapter 4 which goes a long way to helping us to explain um, the phrase but uh, in order to set the context we'll come on to to 1 John 4 uh, in a little while but first of all let's go to to this saying of Jesus it's taken from John's gospel uh, chapter 16 Uh, turn there with me please if you will John's gospel record chapter 16 Um, and this little phrase comes right at the end of the chapter um, in the very last verse Um, John chapter 16 and verse 33 Jesus speaking to his disciples says these things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace in the world ye shall have tribulation but be of good cheer I have overcome the world and so what we'd like to do first of all is just explore the context to this saying to see how it fits into what Jesus is saying in this part of scripture and then we'll as I say dig into the meaning of it a little more Um, and context is very important isn't it you know we've in our title cut short the saying uh, but you'll notice it it actually begins in John chapter 16 with the word but he says but be of good cheer Uh, and therefore what he's saying is is intimately related to what's come before and it's important that we understand the context in which this is said Uh, and first of all we'd like to take a broader view so um, the the arrangement of the material in John's gospel record is such that we are in the middle of or towards the end of a a very big speech that that Jesus has given Um, it actually starts this incident starts all the way back in John chapter 13 Um, we are in the last week of the life of the Lord Jesus Um, uh, and when we come to this part of John's gospel then we're actually in the upper room with Jesus he is um, sharing a meal with his disciples immediately before going out um, in order to be taken by the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities and to be crucified so we're right at the end where Jesus is is really trying to uh, 
to take everything that he's been telling his disciples over the course of a three-year period uh, and really condense it down and, and, and get through to them the essentials of the message that he's been speaking to them about for this period of time. And as I said, this, this discourse that he gives begins in John chapter 13 and it covers all the way until the end of John chapter 17, really. Um, so at the end of chapter 16 here, we're just um, coming towards the end of it. And he has been talking about some of the things that would come to pass. Um, he, as we've said, is right at the end. He's about to leave his disciples. And so he's telling them what's going to come to pass to them after he has been taken from them. Um, and some of those experiences which they were going to have are not going to be very pleasant. Look at um, verse 32. Of, of John chapter 16 where he tells them behold the hour cometh yea is now come that ye shall be scattered every man to his own and ye shall leave me alone and yet I am not alone because the father is with me he says some of the things which you're going to experience are going to scatter you are going to send you um, far away from me because of fear um, uh, but I have told you these things so that you know that that, that if you're with me you will have peace uh, and so the thing that he wants to tell them uh, to tell them that they can have peace and they can be with him and they don't need to be afraid of the difficult times that are going to be ahead. The thing that he tells them is, I have overcome the world. Uh, and so if this was the, almost the very last message that he wanted to tell them, to get them through very difficult times ahead, then that ought to be something which really interests us. Um, it, it ought to be something that, that we ought to look into to say, well, well maybe that can help us when we face difficult times as well. Um, so, so what is he saying then? Let's, uh, as I said, let's try and drill down into this. And the world uh, in particular is a phrase. What does he mean when he says that he's overcome the world? Well, I'd like you to turn with me now to, to John's first epistle. Um, the Spirit has chosen... Um, to expand themes, to, to develop themes within the writing of individuals. Uh, and what we find is that the Apostle John, who wrote John's Gospel, is also the writer of the epistles of John. Um, uh, and many of the themes and the ideas which, which the Spirit chooses to record in John's Gospel come up again for us in the later writings of John. And we find just that um, in this case. Come to the second chapter of John's first epistle, 1 John chapter 2. Um, and here we find um, some, uh, some encouragement and, uh, and some direction uh, from the Apostle John. At verse 15, we find these words. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's a dichotomy, if you like, a contrast being set up here. Um, there are the things uh, that, that it's calling the world, uh, and there is the Father. Uh, and this verse says, um, it is possible to love the world, or it is possible to love the Father. But note it says uh, that there is, uh, there is no possibility of crossover. If any man does love the world, then the love of the Father isn't in him. Um, so we have on one hand God uh, as Father, as the one who loves us. And on the other hand, we have the world. Uh, and there's a contrast being developed between these two polar opposites. And let's read on into verse 16 of, of 1 John 2 now. 
All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Uh, And so this contrast is developed a little bit further and he tells us something about what makes up that which is in the world. Um, That which is in the world is the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You see, what John is doing is breaking down human experience into three basic categories and saying, um, this is what humans, what men and women want to do. Um, They see things, the lust of the eyes, and they lust after them. They say, well, I'd like that. Um, Or things that appeal to their flesh, to our nature, things that that appeal to to who we are. those desires within us drive us to do all sorts of things. Um, and the third category, he says, is, is the pride of life. Um, yeah, this, this belief in ourselves and this uh, idea that, that it is of men to do uh, whatever it is that we want, that men can change the world, that men can, uh, can do whatever they want. Um, uh, and the apostle here takes all that, uh, all that men are, that's what he's doing. He's saying this is what men and women are all about. This is what humans are all about. Um, they're all about doing what appeals to them, about following after their own desires. Um, and he contrasts that with uh, the things of God. And he says the things of the world, the things to do with men, verse 17, pass away. Um, you know, men die uh, and are forgotten. But, but if you do the will of God, if you... Um, put aside those things that you want to do if you uh, put aside those urges that you have that are contrary to God well then if you do the will of God then you abide forever Uh, and there's this dichotomy being built up the things of the world the things to do with men um, and the things to do with God which which stand forever and so the world is an idea that uh, that John is developing here to mean everything that is opposed to God uh, and aligned with human thinking. Uh, And he's channeling, I think, um, the very first uh, act of opposition to God all the way back in the book of Genesis. Come back to Genesis chapter 3 for me. It's a very well-known passage of scripture. Uh, It's the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, And it tells us about um, their experience. Uh, And I'm sure we know the story quite well that God planted uh, a garden in the land of Eden and in it he put uh, many trees and said to men and women, to the first man and to the first woman, you can eat of any of the trees of the garden um, uh, but there is one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil of which you cannot eat. Um, And I'm sure you know the story very well um, that in Genesis chapter 3 the serpent comes and it it tells them something different. Uh, And let's just look at that. Genesis chapter 3 Uh, And we'll just go in at verse 1, where we read, The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. So Eve is very familiar with the commandment. She knows what what God has said she can and can't do. Um, But the serpent offers her, uh, presents to her a different point of view. The serpent says in verse 4, Ye shall not surely die, 
but God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So, so God has said, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, you will die. And then the serpent comes along and says, uh, that's not the case. You're not going to die. Something else is going to happen. And so the woman is presented with a choice. Is she going to believe God or is she going to believe the serpent, this snake? Uh, and we know the outcome, don't we? Even if we're not very familiar with our Bibles at all, we know how the story plays out. That Verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And she chose to, to believe the serpent, the snake, and not to believe God. But just look at... Uh, at the way that Eve's decision-making process was phrased here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. And she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. That's number two. It was good for food. It was pleasant to the eyes. And it was a tree to be desired to make one wise. So there are three pieces of her decision-making. Now what did John say in, in the first epistle of John uh, about the world. He said that it was uh, the lust of the flesh. It was good for food. He said that it was the lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes. Uh, and it was the pride of life. It was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Uh, and so here in, in the very first sin, the sin that, that introduced um, the whole idea of sin into the world. Prior to this, um, the world had been perfect. God looked at that which he created and behold, it was very good, it says. Uh, and Adam and Eve now mar that perfect creation by introducing opposition to God, by introducing sin. Um, uh, and there at the very beginning, those three principles which John has identified in his epistle, those three principles are brought out as part of the first sin. Um, and that first sin, um, which was committed by Adam and Eve, has had uh, consequences for all of their descendants down through the years. That over the generations, every man and woman, every man and woman has committed sin. Um, uh, and all of the sin, all that which we do, which is in opposition to God, um, is bundled up by John. All of that opposition to God, all of that wickedness... Uh, which we call sin is bundled up by John and he styles it the world and John said didn't he that, that the world uh, would that the world fails that the world um, ceases uh, let's just look um, if you keep a finger in Genesis chapter 3 let's just remind ourselves of, of how he phrased it John said uh, in chapter 2 and verse 17 that the world passeth away um, uh, and passing away uh, is a euphemism that we often use um, in daily speech, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, it means to, to die, doesn't it? Um, uh, and again, he's channeling Genesis chapter 3, that as a result of the first sin, uh, then the penalty of death was introduced. Mortality um, became the experience of men and women, and all who have descended from Adam and Eve have shared that mortality. So, so John is here very much channeling um, the very first sin, back in Genesis. If we come back to, to the first epistle of John now, um, John is channeling the first sin uh, and using it to characterise all that men and women do that is in opposition to God. Um, uh, and when he looks, takes a broad view at, at the world of men and women and, uh, and everything that we do, 
um, everything that we do that is in opposition to God, then he calls that the world. And he says it's in, it's in absolute contrast to the, to the things of God, to the things of the Father. Um, that those two are diametrical opposites. So Jesus said, this idea of the world, this sin, um, which was introduced by Adam and Eve and which has plagued men and women um, throughout all their generations this sin has been overcome uh, says Jesus by himself and we could go to, to lots and lots of places to look at, at how that works but let's just go I think please um, to the book of Romans to the epistle to the Romans in chapter 8 And Romans chapter 8 is going to tell us something about, about the work of Jesus while he was on the earth and what he did. And there's a couple of points which we just need to, to pick out and highlight from Romans. Romans chapter 8, please, um, and we're looking now at verse 3. Uh, and the apostle here is drawing a contrast um, between the law of Moses, which went before, uh, and the new way in the Lord Jesus Christ and he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh uh, now this is a slightly complicated language so let's just break it down it says that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh now the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ was a man, uh, that he was the son of a woman, of Mary, uh, and because um, he was the son of Mary, then he shared in all of the experiences of men and women. He was mortal. God was his father, um, and so he derived special blessings from that, uh, but he was a man. He was subject to mortality as men and women uh, as you and I are and he struggled with the same inclination the same tendency to do our own thing um, uh, that, that each and every one of us struggles with um, that we all have this voice in the back of our mind don't we that, that is always there saying you know nobody will know um, it's not going to hurt anybody you know it doesn't really matter we all have that voice uh, to a, a greater or a lesser degree that pushes us to try and do our own thing and to ignore what we know God wants us to do. Uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ had that same battle, um, the scriptures tell us. But the difference was uh, that he never gave into it, that at every turn he defeated um, uh, that voice. And so it says in Romans that, that he was sent in the likeness of sinful flesh that he came um, with the same nature as, as you and I uh, and all that comes with that the same tendency uh, to want to do that which is in opposition to God but he condemned sin that the Lord Jesus Christ never gave in to that uh, that inclination to do what he wanted but at every turn he put his foot down uh, and made God's will what he did uh, and so it says that he condemned sin Now, let's look at what another passage um, 
has to say. It says something very similar, but it uses slightly different language. Come over to uh, Hebrews with me, please, to Hebrews in chapter 2. And here we're going to find great emphasis laid upon the same idea. Hebrews chapter 2 for me. Um, We're going to just go in at verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. For as much, then, as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he says all men and women are flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Now just look at the emphasis there. Um, How many words are there in that phrase? Um, He could have said he took part of the same. He could have said he also took part of the same. He could have said he himself took part of the same. He could have said he likewise took part of the same. But the writer here really wants to hammer home this point. And so he says he also himself likewise took part of the same. Um, He really wants to hammer home this point. The Lord Jesus Christ was exactly the same um, uh, as other men and women. Um, That he suffered with exactly the same uh, difficulties, exactly the same challenges to overcome, and exactly the same desire to do his own thing and not the will of God. But through his death, reading on, through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Now, the devil um, is, uh, is a subject which I'm sure is, is treated from this lectern from time to time. Um, we don't have the time to explore it really tonight. But it is the personification of human nature, of sin. Um, it, it is the Bible's way of talking about sin uh, and the Bible personifies sin in order to uh, to give it a little bit more drama to, to, to allow us to see that conflict um, uh, that there was a very real conflict there was a, re- a very real battle fought within the mind of the Lord Jesus Christ between the desire to do his own thing and the desire to obey the will of his father um, uh, and in going to the cross at the behest of his father, contrary to his own will. Now, it wasn't that the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to die. We read about him um, in the Garden of Gethsemane, immediately before he's going to be taken. We read about him praying to his father and asking, is there any other way uh, that your will can be achieved? Is there anything else that can be done? Uh, And the answer of the father was that there was not. And so Jesus was content to submit to his father's will. And so in his death, in going voluntarily to die, then uh, that was the ultimate example of him winning that battle against sin, of saying, I'm not going to do what I want, um, but I'm going to do God's will. And he offers himself as the perfect sacrifice to take away sins. And in doing that, he overcame. His whole life was a battle against sin. Uh, But in that one great act, when he, uh, at the end of his life, voluntarily offered himself uh, at the greatest test, then the Lord Jesus Christ overcame sin. And as a result, look at what Hebrews said. He destroyed sin, or the devil, um, which had the power of death. Because we saw, didn't we, uh, all the way back at the beginning, then 
that first sin introduced mortality, introduced death into the experience of men and women. The Lord Jesus Christ overcame that which has the power of sin. The Lord Jesus Christ overcame uh, that which has the power of death, rather. He overcame sin. Uh, and so he delivered from death. Uh, and this is something, then, that uh, the first epistle of John is going to talk about. If we come back to the first epistle of John, please, now. And we're going to go now to um, the place where we took our reading from, from the first epistle of John and chapter 4. And John picks up some of the ideas that we've been talking about already. Um, 1 John 4 and, for instance, verse 5, talking about um, the difficulties that... uh, that some that, that the people to whom he was writing would experience um, that they were going to be persecuted and afflicted um, by people that he calls members of the world look 1 John 4 and verse 5 those people who are afflicting or persecuting these believers to whom John is writing they are of the world therefore speak they of the world and the world heareth them but by contrast verse 6 we are of God he that knoweth God heareth us uh, he that is not of God heareth not us so, so John is, is now picking up um, some of these ideas that we've seen from the Gospel of John. Uh, and then he tells us about the work of the Lord Jesus and the work that God was, was carrying out in Jesus. He says in verse 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He introduces this idea that, that God is all about love. And then he goes on to explain the extent of God's love. Verse 9, In this was manifested the love of God toward us, Because that God sent his only begotten son, where did he send him? He sent his only begotten son into the world, into this great abyss of wickedness and opposition to God that we've been considering. Into that that world of sin, God sent his son in order that we might have life through him, says verse 9. And then verse 10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That as a result of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have the blessing of the forgiveness of sins. That word propitiation here is is an old-fashioned word that we don't use very often anymore. But what it really means is a covering. Um, That's the the fundamental idea of the Greek word that's used here. Uh, He sent his son to be a covering for our sins. That through his, his sacrifice... Sins can be covered or forgiven. And so let's just start to refer back to to the question which we posed at the very beginning. What does it mean, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world? Well, what we've said so far then is is that the world is is the world of men, is, is the world of sin and of wickedness and of opposition to God, which man has created. And the Lord Jesus Christ came into that world um, in order to save men and women from it, in order to to battle against sin within himself and to defeat it, um, to overcome sin, in order that we too might have opportunity through him uh, to escape from sin, to have our sins forgiven and therefore um, to, to escape from its consequence, from death. And this is something that he's going to go on to talk about. Um, 
But we'd just like to think now about that, that first section of the verse. Be of good cheer, he says, I have overcome the world. To whom might one say, be of good cheer? What sort of person would we say, be of good cheer to? Somebody who is afraid. Yeah? And that's the, the root idea of, of certainly the, the Greek in this phrase, is to take courage. Um, and so looking at the tribulation um, that, would, uh, that, that awaited those people to whom he was speaking, uh, and looking ahead to the tribulations which, which disciples of his down the ages have faced, he says, you know, be of good cheer. You don't have anything to be afraid of uh, because of the work that I have done. Because the worst that the world can do is, well, is to kill you. Uh, and I have come to provide a means of escape from death. Um, and he goes on to talk about, uh, in First John, that we don't need fear anymore. Verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear hath torment and he that feareth is not made perfect in love he says you know, I have come to show you the love of the father uh, and if you abide in the love of the father and show his love to your fellow men and women well then there's no need for fear anymore um, you can be uh, you can have boldness is the phrase that he used in verse 17 you can have boldness in the day of judgment that is, when the day comes when God will judge the world, uh, then you won't have anything to be afraid of. Uh, and so, that's a beautiful, beautiful promise that he holds out to men and women, isn't it? Uh, this idea that there is much wrong with the world. There was much wrong with the world um, of those to whom he immediately spoke. They were soon to see Roman armies come uh, and destroy the land of Israel, the land which they loved, the land in which they had grown up. Uh, they were to see the Roman armies tear down um, the temple of God, and they were to be persecuted by uh, aliens and, and by um, their fellow countrymen, and they were to be scattered throughout all the known world. Um, uh, 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 and when we look at the world around us, then, uh, then we see what man has managed to do to it. We see the corruption, the pollution all of the, the terrible things that man does to the environment and, and to other men. Um, and the Lord Jesus Christ looking, to, uh, looking ahead and, and seeing all that man would do, the sum of, of what John is calling the world, um, says you, know, you don't need to be afraid um, because I have provided a means of escape from uh, all of those things. Um, and it's beautifully summed up there, isn't it? In that, that verse that we read, that God so loved us that he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That, that is very similar, isn't it, to, to very well-loved and oft-quoted words from John chapter 3. You needn't turn there, but I'm sure you recognize the words if I read them. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, and there that's what the Lord Jesus Christ holds out. He says, as a result of, of my work and my overcoming of sin, uh, then you have opportunity to enter into everlasting life in the kingdom of God, a life no longer plagued by all of these difficulties um, which sin has brought. But there are implications um, for those 
who would seek to enter into these blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ is promising. Um, if you're still in First John, just come over to the next chapter, to chapter 5. Because 1 John 5 just picks up um, some of these ideas again. 1 John 5, we'll just, we'll just start reading at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. And so we start to see this language of, of begetting. Uh, and you remember earlier how we, we saw that the, Lord was, uh, that the Lord God was being described as a father, uh, a father who loves us. Here it's talking about those who are begotten, who are born of him, those who become part of his family, to whom he is a father in truth. Uh, but there is, uh, there is a requirement on those who would be his children. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. In order to be his children, um, then one must love God and one must keep his commandments. For, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Now, if you love God, um, then the things that he's asked you to do won't be grievous to you. And then he says, verse 4, whatsoever is born of God, so those who, who would seek to become members of God's family, who, who would seek to enter into his love and to, to share in the blessings that he has promised through Jesus, whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. They follow in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? God says, you too can overcome the world. You too can uh, follow in the footsteps of Jesus by faith in that which he did for us. By faith in his death and his resurrection uh, and in the forgiveness of sins that can be attained, uh, uh, obtained through his work by faith in him then we too have the opportunity to to overcome sin and death and to enter into the glorious promises that God makes and so he says if we come back to the gospel of John now to, to where we started and we were in John chapter 16 we're just going to go into the very next chapter now into John chapter 17 following hard on the heels um, uh, of this phrase of Jesus that we've been considering John chapter 17 the Lord Jesus Christ prays for those um, whom he is leaving behind and he says in John chapter 17 and verse 6 praying to his father I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world now he says we you chose these men from, from out of the world and, and you gave them to me so that I might uh, be with them and help them and show them your character, your name. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were and thou gavest them me and they have kept thy word. Um, and then he says, coming a little bit further down, verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. Uh, and slowly we're seeing this, this process through the language. Uh, it's being built up that there are those who, who belong to God who are not 
of the world. Again, we see that contrast which we saw at the beginning, that there is the world and that there are those who are gods uh, and that there is uh, clear light, if you like, between them, that the two cannot be confused. And so he continues in verse 11. Now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are. Uh, While I was with them in the world, I kept them. Um, Those that thou gavest me, I have kept and none of them is lost. Uh, And then coming down to verse 14, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He's really emphasizing this point. Um, But we see there, the end of verse 14, they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Uh, And yet he said earlier on, they're in the world. Uh, And that's the position for those who would follow Jesus, Um, uh, that we continue to exist in this this dark abyss, this this dark world of wickedness around us. We see um, the actions of wicked men and women on every side. Those who would be disciples of Jesus aren't taken away from that. They have to continue in the middle of that. Uh, But he says they are not of the world. He says by their actions you can tell that they don't belong to the world, but they belong to God. And so there is a condition placed upon uh, those things which which Jesus has been promising, isn't there? Um, uh, That in order to enter into those blessings, in order to be among those who have overcome, uh, then we are told to to seek to find the truth uh, about Jesus. Uh, and about God's purpose with us and with the earth uh, as revealed to us in the Bible Uh, and this is telling us that there are certain ways in which God would have those who belong to him to behave Uh, that if we want to enter into the victory which the Lord Jesus Christ has won uh, then there are things which the Bible tells us about which we have to do to believe, to have faith and to be baptised into his saving name. We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, videos, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Mm-hmm.